Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father God, we thank you for your Word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for allowing us to gather here and just to break the bread of your Word. We pray, Lord, that we won't just be hearers of your words, but that you'll help us to be doers. And we ask that you'll help us by your spirit. So, Lord, we pray for open and receptive hearts and minds. We pray for transformation. We pray for power via your spirit. We pray that you'll be glorified throughout this service, Lord, throughout the remainder of this night. And I do pray for the gift of teaching and that I'll be able to rightly divide your word of truth. And so if there's a timely word you want me to share, Lord, I pray that you will put that in my heart and my mouth, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. All right, so we're going to read and base our study on one of the most touching stories in the Bible. It's the story, of course, about King David and Mephibosheth. And so it's a very touching story, one of my favorites and one of the most memorable ones to me. And so maybe for many of you, it's a memorable story of the Bible. But uh, when I say story, I'm not talking about fiction. This is, this is real, and it's recorded for us, and we can take something from it. And so as we're going through the reading of it and meditating upon it, we want to go ahead and see what the Lord has in store for us. So let's be in prayer. Let's be open uh, to the Holy Spirit as we read Second Samuel chapter 9, and the title of the study is Eating at the King's Table. Eating at the King's Table. And so that brings us to verse 1 of Second Samuel chapter 9. It says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who was left of the house or family of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And so Jonathan, just by way of reminder for some of you, and maybe this, new, this is new for others, he was King Saul's son, and he was also David's, King David, that is, a best friend. And this Jonathan was actually like a brother to David, and he had even entered into a covenant with King David before he assumed his place as king. And so to find that, I do have a reference. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 through 17. And there you'll see that Jonathan, Saul's son, is speaking to his best friend, David. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14, it says, and you shall not Only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live that I may not die. But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house or from my family or descendants forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan in verse 16 made a covenant with the house of David saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. 
So in other words, may the Lord destroy all your enemies or hold David's enemies accountable. In verse 17, it says, now Jonathan again calls David to vow because he loved him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So there you see this close knit friendship between Jonathan and David, which was awkward because King Saul, the king at that time, saw himself as an enemy of David. He saw David as his enemy. And so when we look at verse one, back in Second Samuel chapter nine, we see here or come to an understanding here that David's intention was to perform the vow that he had made when Jonathan, his best friend, a guy like his brother, was still alive. And now remember this. On top of that, remember that when, when David had rest from his enemies, now this is, of course, in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when he had rest from his enemies, remember that he first thought about God. Yes, he had his own house, beautiful house, his palace, comfort, rest from his foes, from his enemies. And he thought about God and Second Samuel chapter seven. But but here, another point I want to take from verse one in our study tonight. Here we see that he was not looking for more people to serve him as king, but he was looking to help someone else. And so it all started with him thinking about God in chapter seven. And now he is thinking about others. He is thinking about how he can help someone else, and specifically someone who is a descendant of Saul, the previous king, who, the man who tried to, to kill him uh, many times. And so if we were to take a, a page from David's playbook here, I would have to ask the question, are, are we open to and are we looking for opportunities to help others? Are we looking for opportunities to help others? He wasn't thinking about himself, but thinking about how he can be a blessing to someone else. In verse 2, it says, And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house or family of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame. He's injured or he's crippled in his feet. And so the king, King David, said to Ziba, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel and Lodabar. And Lodabar, by the way, was located on the east side of the Jordan River. And so I like how David is specific here about the type of kindness that he wanted to show to any remaining descendant of Saul. 
He he didn't want to show any type of kindness, kindness of his own self, the kindness of the world. He didn't want to show any of those types of kindnesses, but he wanted to show specifically the kindness of God to any of Saul's descendants. The kindness of God. And yes, he knew what that was because God had been so kind to him. God had protected him. God had elevated him in his own time to that place of king over Israel. The Lord was his shepherd. He understood that. So he understood the kindness of God and he wanted to show that same kindness to a descendant of Saul for his friend Jonathan's sake. Now, this was unusual that he would want to show kindness to uh, the previous king, the previous leader of Israel. And it was unusual because according to some Bible scholars, it was customary in those days for the king of a new dynasty to get rid of anyone who was a part of the previous dynasty. And so it was very unusual when you look at uh, King David's request. When you look at his heart, wanting to show the kindness of God. But, but is there any question? Is there any question about whether God is kind? Or there shouldn't be, but, but some people pose that question. Some people would go as far as to impose morality their own morality onto God. But there is no morality if there is no God. And so that is what one Bible scholar or one Christian apologist would call stealing from God. Because God is the one who creates morality. It comes from him. We know what evil is, for example, because God is good. And because goodness in God exists, When we see the opposite of that, we know what is evil. And so for someone to impose morality or uh, try to think they're more moral than the God of the Bible, they're stealing from God. They're out of place. They have made themselves into their own gods. But is there really a question, honestly, of whether God is kind? But but first, I like to start with uh, the definition of the word kindness. And you see, kindness is an eagerness to put others at ease. Kindness is a sweet and attractive temperament that shows friendly regard. Kindness is merciful and kindness is tender. And no doubt the God we serve is kind. And that's the same type of kindness David wanted to show. And so as a reference, I have Titus chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 7. So if you want to turn there or write it down, um, either way, we're going to read it. It says here in Titus 3, beginning at the first verse. Now, now, now before I read the first verse, I want to share with you that the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is speaking to a man named Titus. And Titus, during that time, was... A pastor. And so the Holy Spirit through Paul is 
telling Titus to remind them or to remind the church to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, to be gentle, showing all humility to all men. And he says, for we ourselves were also once foolish. We were also once disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice or ill will, or malice could also be a desire to, to injure. And so we live with that. And, and, and I say we, because I know how I used to be. And maybe you were too, or maybe some of you just don't want to admit it to yourselves, but, but, but I used to have malice in my heart, envy, hateful, hating one another. We ourselves were once in that place. We were once foolish. Once again, I could speak for myself on this. I could say amen to that passage in regard to me. But notice this in verse 4, Titus chapter 3. But when... But when the kindness, there's our word, and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, that is the new birth, or being born again, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, but wait a minute, in in verse 4 it says, God our Savior, but now in verse 6 it says, Jesus Christ our Savior, Jesus equals God, to make it plain. And verse 7, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Once again, that's Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And we're talking about the kindness of God. We see the kindness of God the Father in sending Jesus Christ on a rescue mission to save us. And I say he was sent on a rescue mission to save us, the sinner, because Jesus himself said, I believe it's in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that he came to seek and to save the lost. And so that sounds like a rescue mission to me. And so that is because of God's kindness that he sent Jesus on that rescue mission because God is merciful. God is tender because God has an attractive temperament that shows friendly regard. Remember, we were talking about the meaning of kindness because he have all of those. He, he sent Jesus on a rescue mission for us, and that is kindness. And, and it also says in Titus 3 that he gave us new life through the regeneration or through that born-again process spoken of in John chapter 3, and that rebirth, that born-again process. Remember, Jesus says you must be born again. If we're not born again, we can't even see the kingdom of God. And that, uh, that rebirth, that regeneration comes about uh, via the Holy Spirit. It tells us in Titus chapter 3. We also see the kindness of God still in Titus 3, just, just, just picking back and off of there, that, and that we are justified. We are justified because of the kindness of God. That means that, that, that we have a right standing with God. 
that God declares us righteous. I don't care what anybody says to you, what the enemy whispers in your ear. I don't even care what you say about yourself. Yes, you may have had malice in your heart in the past. Yes, you may have done all kinds of crazy things and foolish things and sinful things in the past. But but now those of you who are in Christ Jesus, you are justified just if you had never sinned. You are in a place where you have a right standing with God. That is your position. You are righteous. That's your standing in Christ. That doesn't change. But now you go through the process by experience. So now experientially, as we go through the process of being saved, that, that's called uh, sanctification. So this process that we're in now, remember the justification just doesn't, doesn't change. The gavel has been pounded. Declare it righteous. That's done. Now it's, becoming, now it's becoming in practice what we are in our standing. So you declare it righteous. Now you're becoming more righteous in your lifestyle. That is more like Jesus and less like the old you. That's where we are now. But, but we're justified just to get back to that because of the kindness of God. Not only that, but you also find in Titus chapter 3 that we see the kindness of God by allowing us to be heirs. You also find out in another scripture that we're not just heirs, but we are joint heirs with Christ. So, so we share in whatever belongs to Christ. It, it just blows our mind, but those are the benefits that we have when we repent and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We see the kindness of God by the fact that we have eternal life. We'll get to spend eternity with our creator, the God of the universe. But now this, this Ziba getting back to this old servant of King Saul, who's dead now. This Ziba, he mentioned that there's someone of the family of Saul who is still living. And that is, of course, Jonathan's son. He's still living. And this is, of course, none other than Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, by the way, was brought up in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 4, verse 4. And 2 Samuel 4 Verse 4 tells us that Mephibosheth was only five years old when he fell as his nurse was trying to flee with him after uh, she heard that Saul and Jonathan had died in battle. And it could be that, that she feared that whoever was in power would try to kill Saul's descendants. And, and that was a, a very that, that was a, a very valid concern because that. That is what the new regime normally did. And so she feared that and she took him up in her arms when he was five years old and she fell or he fell. And so we don't know exactly what happened, but maybe his spinal cord got affected by that. But, but that fall was the cause of Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, becoming crippled. And so we learned about that in 2 Samuel 4, 4. So now he's being brought up again by Saul's old servant, Ziba. 
And so in verse 5 of 2 Samuel 9, it says, Then King David sent, and he brought Mephibosheth out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and he prostrated himself. That is, he laid himself face down, which was a sign of respect. And then David said, Mephibosheth? a.k.a. Merubaal, according to 1 Chronicles 8.34. That's where you see the other name. And so Mephibosheth, he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him in verse 7, do not fear for I will surely show you kindness, that kindness of God we just talked about. I'll surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. I'm going to keep my vow to him. And will restore to you all the land of Saul, the previous king of Israel, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. See, David was a man of his word. Not only was he keeping his word to Jonathan, but he was actually also keeping his word to King Saul. As King Saul didn't want David to kill his descendants and And David went along with that. And so he's keeping his promise to to both of these men. And and he took care of Mephibosheth, as we'll see. He took care of him. Why? Because he was a man of his word. But, But how are we doing in that area? How are we doing as Christians in keeping our word? You see, if we call God our father then we need to be truth tellers. For God doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth. And he wants us to be, once again, truth tellers. See, lying is of the enemy, it's of the devil. And in fact, Satan is called the father of lies. He is the inventor of lies. But God, once again, he wants us to be truth tellers. So how are we doing in this area? God wants us to keep our commitments like like David was keeping his commitment. See, God wants us to perform our vows if we make them. How are we doing in that area? It's not required of us to make vows, but if we do, how are we doing with that? Are we keeping our vows? You know, those of us who are married, how are we doing in that area? Are we keeping our vows to our spouse? See, it's not required to to make any vow in this life. But the scriptures tell us in Ecclesiastes that it is better to not vow than to make a vow and not keep it. Because if you you make a vow, the Lord is going to expect you to be a man or a woman of your word. And David here was performing that. He was keeping his vow. He was being a man of his word. So, so that's something to think about. Are, are we doing well in that area? If not, Lord, help us to do better. Not condemnation here, but, but help us to do, to do better in this area. If that's, an, if that's an area where we need to improve. In verse 8, it says, Then he bowed himself and he said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? 
So Mephibosheth, in other words, is saying, I'm, I'm somebody who, I'm, I'm insignificant, I'm nothing. So, so who am I that you should even look upon me, the king of Israel, the anointed one of Israel, anointed king over his chosen, chosen people, and you look upon me, this insignificant person, this crippled person, I'm lame in my feet. And in verse 9, the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, talking to Ziba, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So, so if my math is correct, and I wasn't a math major, I majored in English for my undergrad. But if my math is correct, that, that's 36 people counting Ziba, right, who would be helping out Mephibosheth. And so that, that is such a cool thing that, that David is setting up for Mephibosheth. In verse 11, it says, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. And as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. King David set it up that way. And so Mephibosheth, he, he dwelt in Jerusalem. For he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. He was crippled in both his feet. And so at the king's command, Ziba, his sons, and his servants were to help. They were to serve Mephibosheth. They were to use the food from the land to provide for Mephibosheth's family, while Mephibosheth himself ate at David's, that is, the king's table. And so according to these verses in verses 8 through 13, Ziba was willing to comply. He was willing to comply. He said, in fact, in verse 11, according to all that my Lord, the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. That sounds like compliance. But I wonder tonight, do we have that same type of attitude when it comes to our king, the Lord telling us to serve one another. You see, he did tell us to serve one another. In fact, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He washed his followers' feet. And he told them that just as I have done for you, do to each other. Do that for each other. And so he's not saying to literally wash each other's feet, though there's nothing wrong with that. But, but the overall message that he was telling his disciples, his pupils or students, is that, hey, you need to serve one another. And so, yes, we do have a king who commanded us to serve others, to serve one another, just like King David told Ziba and, and his and his sons, and and his servants to serve Mephibosheth. But are we willing to comply? Are we willing to obey our king and serve each other? 
Well, I'm sorry, Pastor Darrell, I need something a little more clear than that. Well, you got it, brother. You got it, sister. In Galatians 5, verse 13, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty or freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to satisfy your sin nature or as an opportunity for the flesh. But notice what it says at the end. But through what? Through love, serve one another. Does that look like a commandment? That, that looks like a commandment to me. Through love, serve one another. So, so, so do we have that same heart as Ziba? Do we have that same heart when it comes to our Lord, to, to our King? Are, are we saying to him that, that, that according to all my Lord, the King, the King of Kings has commanded his servant, so will your servant. Darrell, Lord, your servant, plug your name in. So will I do. Are you in that place? Are you willing to serve one another? In serving one another, that is a demonstration of love. And, and, and Jesus set that example. And I like that about the king that we serve, Jesus Christ, is that he set that example, not only with washing his disciples' seat, feet but but he he also gave his life as a ransom gave his life as a ransom he served in that way and so after reading this passage of scripture in second samuel chapter 9 about mephibosheth eating at king david's table continually I have to say, and it was really hard for me to pass this up, but, but, I, but, but it's, I have to say that it kind of made me think of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I know for many of you, that's probably what came to mind, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, as you read about Mephibosheth eating continually at King David's table. And, and that's a, a very appropriate type of image the marriage supper of the lamb. And just to explain that a little bit, just want to share with you that, that in the New Testament, we, we see a picture of the relationship of Christ to the church. And, and, and so Christ is seen as the bridegroom, as the groom. The church is the bride in that relationship. And so, of course, that is why it is so demonic for anyone to try to twist God's picture of marriage because it's a picture of Jesus's relationship with the church. And so, of course, the enemy will try to attack marriage. But to be specific, we, we see his relationship with the church patterned after the usual Near Eastern marriage. And that Near Eastern marriage, by the way, consisted of three stages. It, it consisted of the betrothal or the engagement period. And, and when we read about uh, the birth of Christ and, and how Joseph and, and Mary were together, but, but never had relations to each other, they were in that betrothal stage. They were in that engagement period. They were in the first stage of the Near Eastern marriage or in the Jewish marriage, the first stage. But, but their engagement, by the way, was more binding than our engagement is. 
And so people today, they don't like you. They can just take your engagement ring and throw it at your face. Or some of them just keep it and pawn it. I don't know what they do with it. But, but these days, back then, in the Near Eastern marriage, in that first stage, the betrothal, the engagement, they, they, to, to break it off, they literally have to get a divorce. That's how binding it was. And I'm getting somewhere with this because I'm just try, trying to get to that part about the marriage supper of the Lamb. But I have to start with that first stage because it's, it's hard to, once again, not think about that when, when you see this picture of Mephibosheth at the table, at, at David's table. But then that second stage of the Near Eastern marriage was the presentation. That is, the bride was taken to the father's home and had a private wedding service. And then that third stage was the celebration stage. That is the wedding supper. And so remember, Jesus' relationship with the church, we're called the bride of Christ. It's a picture of that Near Eastern marriage. And so right now, the church in Jesus, we are in the betrothal stage. We're in that engagement stage with Jesus. We're getting to know him better on this side of eternity. Uh, but then one day we're going to experience that second stage of the, of the marriage because he's going to come back for his church one day in an event that is called the rapture. And by the way, there is nothing prophetically that needs to take place for the rapture to happen. It can happen in the next second for all that matters. That would be great. I hear you, sister. <laughs> That would be great. And so that would be the second stage. And so right there, he would take us, guess what? To the father's house, to his father's house. He said he would in John chapter 14. 14. He says that he's going to come back for us. He said that he, he gave a hint of the rapture. That where I am, you may be also. So that second phase of, of this marriage. And then that that. that Wedding service is going to take place in heaven. While on earth, there's going to be seven year tribulation period. But, but then that third stage is going to happen as well. That's, that's still future. And so the third stage of this type of wedding or, or marriage is what we call the marriage supper. In this case, we're going to call it the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that will take place on earth after the tribulation and shortly after the second coming of Christ. You can check it out in Revelation chapter 19. And remember Jesus. Remember when he set up communion, when he instituted communion. Remember what he said that, he, that there's going to be a day that, or that he won't drink the fruit of the vine again. Until he drinks it anew with them in his father's kingdom. And so after the tribulation period, um, at the second coming, right before the millennial kingdom starts, that's the third phase of this marriage. And that is going to be, of course, what we call the marriage supper of the lamb. And so it's hard for me to go through this lesson without touching on that, because I know some of you may have been thinking that as well. And so I 
did want to, like I said, say a little bit about that. And I do want to share with you that that's not necessarily where the rest of the study is going. But I just wanted to touch on that just in case you were wondering about this imagery with, with Mephibosheth and King David at this table. And of course, that will make a great study. And maybe one day we'll get to that study, maybe from Pastor Jim or whomever. And yes, that will make a great study. But, but what, what, what I want to touch on, what I want to focus on tonight is the intimate fellowship and relationship aspects of Mephibosheth, a crippled man who was eating at David's table. And so the key words I want to focus on once again are fellowship and relationship. You see, some of us, some people have been crippled like Mephibosheth by the circumstances of life. Some things that happened maybe in your childhood, maybe in the previous marriage or Maybe in your previous relationship or at your previous job. Maybe that there's something that happened at your previous school and you've been crippled by it. You've been hurt by it. You can't walk straight, figuratively, spiritually. And then there's others, of course, who've been hurt by others dropping them, if you will. Uh, by, by people making it seem that that, that you're super valuable to them, but, but all of a sudden they just drop you and, and you begin to think of yourself as insignificant and that nobody loves you, that in fact nobody even likes you. And why would anybody uh, want to hang around you or why would a God send his son to die for you? It just sounds so surreal to you because you've been hurt in life by other people dropping you. And maybe that's you. But I could tell you this, something that we have, that all of us have in common as, as human beings, is that we were all crippled by sin spiritually. Yes, we were crippled by sin. We are less than whole in and of ourselves. And that's something, by the way, we got from the first man, Adam. But, but this man, Mephibosheth, although he's crippled in his feet, notice that King David did not mind having meals with him. Notice that he didn't mind, in other words, uh, fellowshipping or being intimate with him in a relationship, tre treating him as one of his own sons. And so sharing that meal with him, allowing him, Mephibosheth, to eat at his table, it speaks of fellowship. It speaks of a close relationship. It speaks of intimacy. And David wasn't ashamed to have this man, this crippled man, at his table. He didn't mind that in, in Jesus, the son of David, our greater than David. He, he wants a close relationship with us. He, he wants close fellowship with us as well. In fact, if I could put it this way, he wants us to eat at his table of fellowship as well. He, he wants to dine with us 
as well as it tells us in Revelation 3, verse 20, it says, and this is Jesus, of course, speaking to the lukewarm church of the Laodiceans, right? He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Notice this. Jesus is outside of this lukewarm church knocking. Jesus is not a part of their ministry. He's, he's not a part of what they're doing in the church. He's not a part of their services. It's all about them. They're lukewarm. Jesus is standing on the outside of this church and he's knocking. He says, if anyone, if anyone in the church hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. There's our key word, dine, having a meal. I'll have a meal with you and he with me. Notice that. Yes, Jesus is knocking on the door of the church, but he's speaking to the individuals in the church. And yes, at every church, you may have some lukewarm folks. In every church gathering, you're going to have some unsaved folks. You're going to have the wheat and the tares growing together. And then, of course, you'll have some true believers in there. But Jesus is knocking on the door of that church. He says, I'm not going to barge this door down. I'm not going to kick it down. Jesus is a gentleman. He says, If you hear my voice, open up and and I will come in to you, the individual, and I'll have a meal with you. You can eat at my table. We're going to share a meal together. I'm going to treat you like a son. We're going to have a close, uh, tight-knit relationship. We're going to have close fellowship together, and that'll last as long as you want it to. I just need you to open up. Now dine with him. See, we don't deserve a relationship, nor do we deserve fellowship with Jesus, this son of David. We don't add anything to him to make him more complete. You see, David, getting back to him, he had it all. Enemies were defeated. He was at rest from his enemies and all that. He had it all. King of Israel. But yet he allowed this crippled man, Mephibosheth, to come and dine at his table continually. Mephibosheth didn't make David more complete and neither do we make our king of kings complete. He is complete all by himself. That's why he's God. God does not lack anything, but but he invites us to dine with him. He invites us to open up the door to our lives and allow him to come in and fellowship with us and have a close-knit relationship with us. Yes, crippled us, crippled by sin. We'll cripple sinners in and of ourselves, but yet and still he wants to dine with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. Think about that. Think about that as you, as you meditate upon this word that we have read in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And so even though we are crippled sinners in and of ourselves and we don't add anything to him to make him more complete, yet and still he searches far and wide for us just like, just like David, how David sent a rescue crew. to to get Mephibosheth and bring him to his table. Jesus sends or or he goes out or searches far and wide for the sinner, for, for those of us who are crippled by sin. He goes on this rescue mission. 
He also restores to us what was lost, just like how King David restored to Mephibosheth the property that belonged to his grandfather. He does that for us who are crippled by sin in and of ourselves. We, we add nothing to him. He also sends the help that we need, just like he sent Mephibosheth some help. Told Ziba and his sons and and his servants to, to help Mephibosheth, Jesus does that for us. He sends us to help, the help that we need in the form of, first of all, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. But he also uses our brothers and sisters in Christ. He sends us the help that we need. He, he even provides for us. But most of all, he calls us to his table of fellowship. And he treats us like sons. In fact, we, we are his children. We become his children because we receive Jesus Christ as we repent it and we put our trust in him for salvation. He treats us like sons. We get to eat at his table. We get to fellowship with him as much as we want. We are Mephibosheth. We are the lame spiritually, the crippled spiritually. And we get to dine with the king of kings. We get to dine with the creator We get to dine with or fellowship or be in a close-knit relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. This is what we get to do. This is what I see. This is what I wanted to focus on in this study tonight. And so the exhortation I want to share with you before you leave this place, before we leave this study, is to reflect on God's kindness We're getting back to that word, right? We talked about God's kindness. So reflect on his kindness. Reflect on his grace. Reflect on the mercy of God and and seek to have a deeper communion or fellowship with him. He's inviting you to his table. Seek to have that deeper fellowship with him. See, there's people in this life we don't go over to their houses for, for dinner time or for meal time because we were not invited. But we are invited to this. We are invited to fellowship with him continually. And as we're in prayer right now, I just like to share with those who do not know Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord that if you don't know him, let him in your life knocking on that door if you hear his voice open up allow him to come into your life to sit on the throne of your heart you will not be disappointed because the kindness the grace and mercy of God allows you allows us to have a personal close relationship and fellowship with him through faith in Jesus Christ so if you're not a believer you wouldn't consider yourself a believer if you're not sure you don't know where you're going to spend eternity i would encourage you to repent tonight and receive jesus christ thank you for listening to this teaching from god's word if you have any questions would like to request prayer or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of jesus christ in your life please visit calvaryqueencreek.org